Hey, everybody. It's Mike here. Need to do a little house cleaning before uh, you listen to my episode with David Wrangler of Final Ranch. Had a great, great chat with David. Um, check out his Instagram and his website and buy his merch and listen to his playlists on Spotify because they are spot on. They're all great. Was listening to uh, Country Bangers number two earlier today but it was great chat with him and i think you'll dig it um and i just want to start off by saying thanks to everyone who has been listening to the podcast who left reviews and ratings and all that jazz uh so thanks a lot i appreciate it uh it's been fun this episode is the ninth episode we've got we'll do one more after this and then i think we're going to do a little bit of a break i'm gonna i'm gonna say that that was season one uh, because it's kind of hard to be a one-man band in terms of booking everything and then and then recording it and editing it and putting it up. And I got this other podcast that I also want you to listen to called The Cable Boys with two of my best friends where we talk about inappropriate movies from our childhood. It's hilarious. Tr trust me on it. You'll love it. We just had a great episode uh, with guest Ben Green talking about E.T. I think E.T. might have been an intergalactic slave trader. I'm not a, uh, it's a little spicy maybe, but uh, there's a there's a shot on his people's uh, ship there in the beginning where it's like a bunch of plants and fungi that they've taken from other places. And at some point the camera pans over to clearly like a tree person. The person, the tree has a mouth and it like, you can't hear it, but the mouth like moves. It almost looked like like a hostage video, you know, like the tree is like saying "help me" or something. I, it was a little weird. I didn't remember that. I hadn't seen ET in uh, three decades, so uh, someone's speeding by. You probably heard that. Anyway, um, I just wanted to come on here and say thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, also, live comedy's back. Things are opening up again. Uh, I will be in Idaho performing at the Idaho Comedy Festival, brought to you by the good people at Stand Up New York and, uh, and Lounge at the End of the Universe, I think is the venue, which is in Boise. Uh, me and the boys went from Joyzy to Boise. Um, so I'll be there uh, the 20th through the 22nd. I mean, the day that this drops, literally. So I don't expect you to buy a plane ticket and get to Boise to watch me. Uh, I just like to let you know that I'm doing such things because it looks professional. Uh, and it's not, but you know, everyone's got to do something. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's all I had. Listen to the Cable Boys. Big shows in Idaho. Yeah, that's it. All right. Here's my episode with David Rag. Oh, fucking goddamn it. Here's my episode with David Wrangler. It's a good one. Vinyl Ranch saved me during the pandemic with his wake and bake radio DJ spots where he uh, played some, some heck of a country tunes. A lot of George Strait, a lot of Alan Jackson. He makes a big announcement towards the end of the episode with regarding Alan Jackson. Um, so that's pretty cool. 
All right. I'll see you next week when I talk to somebody. Later. No, it's a, uh, it's lamer. It's just a uh, bubbly. <laughs> I quit drinking like eight years ago. Good for you. I just started Thank about you. eight minutes ago. <laughs> Happy hour. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a full supporter of it. Um, and yeah, just just weed now. That's like my only my only vice. Zero calories, brother. Exactly. Um, well, uh, first of all, I've been wanting to kind of do this chat for some time and. We're, we're just rolling, so we're just going to go right into this. Um, um, I'm not even sure how I came across your Instagram, but it definitely was during the pandemic, and it definitely, uh, you know, not to be hyperbolic, but I was like, man, all those wake and bakes just cheered me the fuck up. Like every time you did them, man, it was just, it was so, it was so great. And I was like, who is this? Who is this guy just pumping out country bangers? You know, at nine in the morning and stuff, and so, you know, I would love to talk about your DJ background because it's something I don't really know about. I'm sort of fascinated by. Um, so you're you're from what? Yeah, just get, talk me through your background, because I know you're from Texas. I'm actually from Michigan. So I come from a. Oh, really? Yeah, I come from a musical family from Michigan and um, kind of around like 1982 when General Motors was doing the big sweeping layoff um, of the late 70s, early 80s. My parents moved mm -hmm. down to Louisiana. So we lived in Louisiana for a hot minute. And then eventually um, made our way over to Texas. And I've been in Texas since, what year? Seven, since about 80, 80, 86, I believe. 86, 87. Okay. Um, and then I've kind of been in and out of Texas over the past five, six, seven, eight years. Did yeah. a couple since, uh, some, some time in New York, some time in Nashville. Now, obviously I'm up here in Tulsa, which is gonna be, you know, maybe only a one-year experience, but uh, I came up here for a grant. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe we I, I, I saw that. Yeah. What was the grant? They're just looking for interesting and self-employed people to kind of. Totally. That's, yeah. pretty, so that's grant, pretty awesome. Yeah, man. The grant's called Tulsa Remote. So they're basically trying to attract, you don't even have to be an entrepreneur or even a small business owner. You just really need to be uh, someone who has the ability to work remotely. So they're attracting mm -hmm folks you can work remotely and the icing on the cake if you're like kind of cool or you have anything that you can offer to kind of enhance the cultural fabric in Tulsa that's like a big bonus for them so from what I hear I think over 5,000 people applied this last year because of COVID so um, also to that point because of COVID they had a huge crop of folks from like LA and New York that ended up yeah. in so I haven't met a lot of these characters yet but I hear there there's a huge population of like really cool people in Tulsa right now. Um, I've, I'm kind of reclusive when I'm here in town, so I don't get out a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a cool, there, there's a very cool creative community here in Tulsa in 2020. <laughs> That's a really rad thing for a city. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. And, and especially for a city like you, I guess, wouldn't think about like Tulsa. Um, you know, my, my wife is from Oklahoma. So I know <laughs> Oklahoma a little bit. Yeah. But, um, and what part of Michigan are you from? I'm from Ohio. So oh, it's kind cool. of surprising. 
Yeah. I'm right, right, right up the, right up the highway, right up the, uh, what's the, what's the interstate that goes up towards Detroit? 95? Uh, yeah. 95, I believe, or 94, okay. 94. Um, 94. I'm actually yeah. from Saginaw, which is like Northwest of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And most of my family's from, you know, like kind of that, I uh, forget what they call it now, like Saginaw Flint to Detroit, that little mm -hmm. strip there where all the automotive manufacturing happened. Yeah. And that, and that you're right. That was devastating. Uh, my, my father sold tires. So I was sort of, we were in that industry as well. And you could just see like all across that rust belt. Yep. Businesses just leaving industries, the, the, the kind of industry that would employed half the town, exactly. you know, and it's, and, and I, we're still feeling all those repercussions today. I feel, yep. like, I feel like it's an ignored crisis in this, uh, in this country. Well, it had a big cultural impact too. Like even the film Urban Cowboy, there's there's kind of like nuances and touches of that because you have, you know, people flooding the South trying to find uh, oil and gas, like pipeline jobs yeah. in Texas, Indiana, around the Gulf. So you have this like mass kind of like migration of folks from the Midwest and mm -hmm. West Coast and from Vietnam and all sorts of places who came to uh, the Gulf Coast for those jobs because the automotive, the manufacturing jobs, all that stuff kind of went away, disappeared overnight, you know? Yeah, like right, literally overnight. Some of them just had a job one day and the next day they went there and mm -hmm. the, the, the plant is all locked up and stuff. It's really, right. it's really sad. Um, I know, cause I went to school up about, around Akron mm -hmm. and you can see that everywhere. Akron, Youngstown, Ohio, those kind of places. So, but, so you were growing up in which part of Texas? I'm sorry, I missed, um, I missed that part. Dude, I've lived all over Texas. So I spent, my formative years, really living in the hill country, kind of around Austin, um, near Lukenbach, Texas, like that little pocket. I don't know how familiar you are with Texas, but that's like uh, street cred. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of spent my formative years there. Did a little stint in San Antonio, a lot of years in Houston. And kind of like that's where I built the Vinyl Ranch story kind of came from that. It's also an homage to my um, my family who are all musicians on my mom's side they did like the family band thing uh, my grandfather that's cool my mom's dad was like this insane front man like rockabilly like young rockabilly front man in his youth and then kind of like graduated to becoming like this country music guy um, i actually am in the process of converting some of his old reel to reel tapes and uh the first one i opened up said beatles like i guess he did like a beatles cover and some venue somewhere in central michigan <laughs> yeah, i'm excited to hear that tape yeah it's cool but but yeah in a in a nutshell just kind of the vinyl ranch brand kind of became an homage to that my time in the hill country kind of absorbing you know the hippie like hillbilly uh it's hard to it's hard to kind of convey this to people outside of texas but there's this whole like the idea of willie nelson um as, as, as we know him now, as like an outlaw country, you know, the figurehead of outlaw country. Yeah. Like the, the gray area between like hard left being redneck post hole digging country guy and hard right being like pot smoking long haired hippies. Yeah. So, so Willie Nelson's like a mashup of those two scenes. And that's kind of what I experienced in the nineties living in the hill country around Lukenbach and Fredericksburg and um, Austin, um, mm -hmm. why that's so special to me. And then moving to Houston and spending all those years there and just kind of like being enamored by the urban cowboy story and just Houston's a very special place too. And that's like a different chat, but 
yeah, that's kind of what it is. It's kind of like this mashup of all of those life experiences and turning it into and turning it into an art that I could monetize and create experience and product and all that sort of thing. Content. Yeah, yeah. What what were you listening to growing up, like in the house with oh, the dude. family musicians? Rap. Yeah. That's what I was listening to. Mm. Parents were not, however. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mom was listening to the Judds and my dad was listening to like Led Zeppelin. And then once they got, my parents had me when they were really, really young. So once they got to be in their like mid thirties, my dad softened up quite a bit. And then he got really into country music. Um, I remember my parents dumping us off with a babysitter so they could go and see Travis Tritt in like 1990 when all he had was the country club song. Do you know this song? Country uh, club? Yeah, yeah. I'm a member of a country club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's all Travis Tritt had. He had a he had that nice mullet and he had a hit song. Yeah, sure. Beautiful mullet. Beautiful. <laughs> and like skin tight black leather pants. He was one of those rock and roll country hybrid guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's ultimately, that was kind of like, my dad was like, oh, so I love the Allman Brothers. I love Southern rock. I guess I can get into country music. And that's kind of where he like made his pivot into like, now he's wearing cowboy hats and starts Wranglers and trying to look like George Strait. It was pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned Urban Cowboy a couple of times, which is another, that was another in for me because you, you've successfully combined two movies that I love which is Urban Cowboy and Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Huge, huge John Travolta fan. Yeah, same. Love John Travolta. <clears throat> Looks like a million bucks right now, by the way, with the shaved head and the kind of beard. Right, once right, he right. got rid of the, once he got rid of the toupee. So That's bravo, cool. John. Hey man, if you're, if you're losing your hair, just shave the head. Yeah, yeah, he looks great. I, I have a shaved head. I haven't looked back. I shaved my head in 2000. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> what uh so like so you started with hip-hop what, what were you listening to hip-hop wise um all things well early 90s obviously like mtv generation so yeah anything mtv and then i started deep diving and digging into east coast hip-hop and anything from like wu-tang you know wu-tang was a great gateway drug into all sorts of other sounds and styles of east coast hip-hop um got into like producers and like production so anything RZA touched I automatically got into um uh, yeah like I was listening to uh, like Grave Diggers and Keith Murray and um Mob Deep all the Wu-Tang guys that was kind of like my high school experience I hung out with a bunch of skater kids and that's kind of what we listened to also listening to bands like Korn and Tool and all that sort of thing uh, Rage Against the Machine of course um I just thought that was a really cool era to grow up in where you actually had a real fusion of new music genres happening like right before your eyes i feel like that doesn't or it cannot really happen anymore the way that it did in the past in the 90s particularly yeah i mean that's yeah that's my era as well and i think you're 100 right that you were that everyone was sort of influencing everyone it felt yeah. like you know so how did you when did you first start djing and producing um i was always kind of producing in my head and like mixing songs in my head before I even knew what that what that meant uh prior to having any sort of um any sort of idea what production meant or what production equipment looked like or what DJs actually did or what producers did I would sit in front of my um my TV after school and watch BET and MTV and um hear you know songs being played and kind of catch on to rhythms and keys and you know start to 
sing lyrics of songs on top of other songs. It might be like, you know, you're, you're watching the Biz Marquee video and you're like, oh, I can hear PM Dawn with this, or I can hear this Depeche Mode song is in the same key or the same, there's the same cadence. And so I used to do stuff like that kind of in my head. And then um, I kind of dabbled in guitar playing. You know, my dad taught my brother and I to play guitar when we were pretty young. So there was always a guitar on the house, kind of dabbled with that for a minute and then got into making those, those kind of like mashup um, cassette recordings. Do you, do you mm -hmm. remember doing that? I, I did that as well when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah. yeah. One of my like uh, most heartbreaking stories is, is around one of those because I this is like sixth grade this is like super young Man. and I had a weird boom box where you could layer stuff yep you know that like that so I, I was doing stuff all the time like I would and I would buy you probably remember because singles so yeah. the single would always have like the weird remixed part yep so I would take that part and layer with something else and I would give them to friends around school and then the end of the year was a uh, swim party. And I was like, I'm going to make my masterpiece. And I spent like all week. I, I, I can't, I mean, it's probably terrible, but you know, at the time I was like, this is going to be great. And uh, show up, my mom dropped me off at the pool party. Everyone was already there in the water. They're like, jump in. And I completely forgot. And I jumped in with the tape in my, yeah. And I got, I went in the water and I opened my eyes and I saw it float. And I was like, yeah, that was a bummer. Damn, G. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's um. Sorry to hear that. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you might be the only one who understands what the, what that pain is. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. No, and then um, yeah, like shortly after, I kind of got into DJing and worked in a nightclub, and realized, oh, I could play my own music to people and probably make money doing that. So DJing was kind of my vehicle to like get to that point. And then fast forward a little bit, you know, I started getting cracked copies of music production software and like building computers with some of my nerd friends. So we build these like crazy, you know, supercomputers with AMD chips and fans and lights and all that sort of thing. Um, and then that's kind of when I got into music production and most primarily I've been using Ableton Live since it first came out. Um, and then now- What is that? Uh, Ableton Live, the digital digital audio workstation. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ableton Live is like the sickest music production software out there. In my personal opinion, um, if you're trying to do like creative production, um, as opposed to being like a Pro Tools or even, I mean, Logic's kind of a great hybrid. Um, mm -hmm. But Ableton is super approachable and all the young kids were using it and it was just, it was fresh and you could, you could do very easily do like mashups and remixes and kind of bend and manipulate it at will pretty easily more so than other softwares um, and was yeah. was most of this start in houston this is all yeah houston yeah for sure what, what was that scene like uh, houston's a kind of a interesting city to me i know a lot of it i owe to uh the bad news bears um <laughs> so it's like but i i've i've toured i've like played shows there i've done stuff there and it does it does have like an interesting energy to it um what, what was it like around that time when you were spinning and stuff? Yeah, when I first started really DJing in Houston, I think was maybe 2003. Mm -hmm. I, was, I, I was already DJing in 2002, but when I really started to like get out and try and book shows, which is really funny the way it, you got yourself booked being a relatively unknown person in a new city in 2002 versus how you do it in 2020, 21. 
it's really funny. You basically went to the bar and you're like, hey, could I, uh, could I speak to the manager? <laughs> and, you <talk laughs> to the guy, and you pitch him on your idea and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll give you a shot. You can do like two Mondays a month. And then you came mm -hmm. in. I think, I wish I could remember the first spot I played in Houston. It had some, it was like something, something lounge. It's totally a parking lot now. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure my Mondays contributed to it becoming a parking lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of got started there and I was playing house music and then the electric clash thing came out, came around and I was always like reading mix mag and was always trying to figure out like what the next big thing was. Um, so I kind of like tried to get a jump on that and I was DJing electro and electric clash that whole, do you remember that? Much? No. Yeah. That's, I don't know that much about it. Kind of like post club kid. It was like the club kid homage to like club kid stuff. Uh, the Michael Alec, the Party Monster. Do you remember the movie Party Monster? I remember Party Monster. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, so from what I understand, I obviously wasn't living in New York at the time. So I was just kind of wishing I lived in New York and Berlin while I was playing this music where it was actually being made. And for the most part, it was just this kind of like, it was art kids doing nightlife. And that's kind of what it was. So it was very DIY, like warehouse parties and electro music. It was fun. Um, the Houston scene for that was pretty lacking and I had fun with it, but I, I was always kind of evolving and changing all the time. And then I went through like a hip hop phase and was still kind of doing house music. And then really got into remixing and mashup when I, um, I think it was maybe like 2006, 2007, started to do a bunch of mashup with hip hop and indie rock music. Indie okay. music. And then that's kind of like what dictated the next few years of my life when I got really popular in the blog, like the music blog worlds with my remixes and that, you know, that occupied like three years of my life at that point. And then I just kind of got bored with the music and the Vinyl Ranch thing I'd been doing simultaneously, which was only a DJ party at that night, at that time. And then mm -hmm. very slowly it just kind of turned into, I decided like, ah, no one's really doing this. And I like to, I hate when everyone's, when, I'm, when I feel like I'm on a bandwagon or people have jumped on, so I didn't mm -hmm. like freak out and jump out of the vehicle. So the Vinyl Ranch thing, it's been very tough for me over the past few years to not jump out of the vehicle while it's driving 80 miles an hour. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm just trying to like hold steady. And it's like, you know, the people that jumped on to country music that are, they're only here for a moment. It's just a part of their story. They're going to jump off quicker than I can jump off. So right. they're going to, they're going to leave country music. They're going to take off the costume. They're going to move on to the next thing, but I'll still be here. That's kind of, what's happened over the past couple of years anyhow. I mean, you've been, you have an internet, you have, you have an iPhone, you have Instagram, you've kind of seen what's, what's happened. Um, in 2020, every genre of music on the planet had a cowboy hat on, which I thought was pretty Right, funny. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I there, yeah, I definitely saw that trend, but I, I definitely have not seen like, like what you're doing, the, like a, a country DJ. I don't know. I may, maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing it, but I, I, I think what you're doing is so unique and and it, the songs you were playing, like I would wake up at seven in the morning. Like my wife was like, oh, where yeah, are you going? West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm getting up super early. My, my wife would be like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to go dance with the cat in the uh, kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, they, they like it breathes new life into those songs. Because I guess I don't really think of them as like somebody spinning George Strait or Alan Jackson. Like you've, you've put like a, a new... I guess new life into them is probably the best way to say it. it, it it's been really kind of cool to watch. And 
one of my favorite things is the community that yeah like the people that show up like I do like you know it's been it's been fun and I've had I've made new Instagram friends whatever that means and yep. and been able to chat with people like it's it's like I said I, I can't emphasize enough how nice it was to forget about coronavirus for an hour you know yeah that's um that's funny you say that. So I've gotten so much feedback from folks all over the country and beyond um, about how they tuned in every day. And, you know, in the beginning, I kind of created it for selfish reasons, but also I felt like, well, everyone's stuck at home and everyone who's doing a music stream is trying to do five to 8 p.m. Like every yeah. well, five, five to 10 p.m., five to 8 p.m. plus or minus two hours, right? Depending on where you're at. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, well, no one's doing like drive time you know, no one's driving anywhere, but no one's doing yeah. a drive time show. So my plan was like, okay, I'm going to get up. And I think what initially it started, it was 8 a.m. Or maybe it was 10 a.m. Somehow it ended up becoming 9 a.m. And that's kind of what mm -hmm. stuck. But I did notice that a lot of my friends on the West Coast, like, felt a little alienated by that. They're like, hey, man, I really <laughs> want to, like, tune in and hang with you and see you and interact with you. But, I, like, I sleep until 10 a.m. every day. And, like, that's a problem. I was like, well, that's your problem. Um, but also that was the sweetest spot of the day for me where I knew like, okay, I can go running. I can do these things that I, I had already built into my routine and not feel like I was kind of waiting around for the thing to start, you know? Yeah. So 9am was kind of the sweet spot. Plus I didn't feel too irresponsible about smoking meat at 9am. Um, 8am <laughs> I felt a little like a burnout. It's like, uh, 8am is a little early. 9 a.m. felt fun. But uh, yeah, I've, you know, obviously both of us have met so many crazy characters via that experience. And it was only really designed to be a quarantine thing. I had yeah. no aspirations of it going beyond three months. I didn't really know how long, how long it was going to last anyhow. Yeah. But it went into like six months and nine months and people were like, yeah, we're coming up on a year. I was like, oh, shit. It's time for me to hang this up. And I kind of abruptly kind of hung it up after New Year's. Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of let it ride. Um, left it in 2020 where it belonged. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I, I totally understand that. It was like a nice moment in time, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you obviously have other things going on. So mm -hmm. I had no fault to you on that. Like, yeah, now it's, now it's time to shift back into, you know, real life. And so, and, and, and I can imagine as much as it helped me get through it, it helped you get through it. What were, I know you had some things building in 2019 and 2020 and, they sort of got taken away because of this pandemic. What were you, uh, you were doing something with Diplo. I remember you saying that and. Yeah, so um, I met him in September of 2019 and um, he was super cool. Like he wore a few of my shirts, made me a bunch of money. It was awesome. Um, got me a bunch of traction via Vinyl Ranch, but um, yeah, we kind of like hit it off in Houston and he was like, hey, let's work on something, let's do something. And then, um, you know, he told me he was putting out this country record and we kind of chit-chatted about that. And then uh, right around the turn of the year, he's like, hey man, come to LA. And like, you know, maybe we can do these album release shows. Like maybe we'll do a Vinyl Ranch, Thomas Wesley album release thing. Like I'll, I'll have you DJ my album release parties in a nutshell. So I planned on doing that and then that got pushed and everything kept getting like pushed a little, like, you know how it is in the music industry, mm -hmm. just get pushed forward and once then, oh, he was going to DJ a, um, a South by party I was throwing also on Tuesday, on a Tuesday. It was like a secret performance after his major laser show. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, that all didn't happen. But yeah, everything we kind of talked about working on together, just COVID killed it. 
Um, yeah. But in addition to that, like I was booked on a bunch of the big music festivals, uh, a lot of the C3 stuff, Stagecoach. Um, yeah, it was turning out to be a pretty big, pretty big year. But you'll be able to now go back to that stuff, right? I don't know what yeah, you can announce or what. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Where, where are you? Where are you going to be this coming year? Uh, it hasn't formally been announced yet, so I can't say. But pretty much sure. just replicating what I did and what didn't happen in 2020 is happening in 2021. Yeah. So I can say that. Very cool. Yeah. Over violating any sort of agreement that <laughs> may or may or may have not signed. And um, I, reading up, uh, I was like, oh, you've worked with like a bunch of brands, and that's yeah, that's also interesting. Like, how, like how does how does that fusion work? Because uh, um, like which which one you've worked with uh, Wrangler? Yeah, that's, that's one of them. Like, how did those come to you, and how do you navigate the corporate world? I mean, it seems maybe they they've all been uh, totally into what you're doing. I know sometimes corporations can stifle. The artist, you know, they might say like, "Oh, we love what you do," and then when you go and do it, they're like, "Well, we didn't quite mean that," you yeah. know. We'd really like if you changed it or complied to our vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, on the on the brand side, like most of what I've done's been in the music space, not so much in like the apparel space. Um, mm -hmm. I've actually run into some conflicts of interest, conflicts of interest. Thought I had it backwards um, in the past because you know someone like. Levi's will say, well, we want to work with you, but we view, we perceive you as a fashion brand. Therefore, we view as competition. And it's like, no, it's actually not, you know, for the longest time, I'd have to go into meetings with these people and tell these marketing folks and tell them that the merchandise on my website is my merch. It's like my band merch. It's my yeah. merchandise. It's not, I'm not a fashion brand. I don't have collections. I don't have a team of designers and all those sorts of things. It's a little different now. I still don't perceive Vinyl Ranch as a fashion brand at all. But um, most of what I've done is kind of work with them in the music space. So um, yeah, just I've always wanted to do free parties and free events. So Vinyl Ranch is like the people's party. Like I always mm -hmm. try it as free and loose and like come as you are as I can in the spirit of those, those old Willie Nelson um, events in Austin, Texas at the Armadillo World Headquarters. It's kind of like a come as you are thing um, rather than, you know, being in that part of the music industry where it's like all about selling hard tickets and your numbers. And I just don't really care about that so much and never have and probably never will. But um, yeah, so I work with these brands and we just kind of find common ground like, hey, you know, I like what you're doing. What do you have to offer me? And that's kind of what the brands have to, you know, that's the way they pitch it. Um, so it's, you know, I, we're going to do a country music party at South by Southwest. We bring on brands. In a nutshell, it's like what most people do, but it's more about like, mm -hmm. how do you create synergy with a brand that you're working with to where you can kind of bend it to your favor rather than mm -hmm. having somebody write you a check for $500 or $5,000 to book bands, which is great too, because I like to get the bands paid uh, that I work mm -hmm. with and book at my events. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, I could, I could answer that question a hundred different ways, but in a, yeah, in a nutshell, I just like to produce free events. So I try and work with brands to underwrite these events. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, uh, yeah and I, I do want to talk about your merch because I, again, I would give you all my money if I could <laughs> and it'd probably bring people to this. But I, I mean, I have like, I think I have four shirts now, three or four. I, I bought my wife one because her name is Angel. So I bought the Honky Tonk Angel one. Very cool. Um, are, are you, is this totally you designing all of these? 
For the most part, yeah, there, there are some, so over the past couple of years, two, couple, three years, I've had to like submit to like, hey, you can't do everything. Um, so I, there are a few people that I work with, but for the most part, they're very much creative directed. So yeah. that means lots of things too. It's, I could give them a completely fleshed out idea about what the thing is with a couple of source images or, you know, like uh, this guy, Taylor Rushing, who does the Straightful Dead shirt. Um, mm -hmm. Have you seen the Chill Bully and the Straightful Dead series? Yeah, there? yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's an amazing illustrator. I think he's in Georgia. He's like in Athens or Atlanta, I believe. Um, and I, you know, every collaboration is different for the most part, to answer your question, sorry. The early stuff, I designed most all of it. Lately, though, I've been trying to reach out and do more collaborations with other artists. What was like one of the first, because you're, I'm sort of all over the place here because I just I'm so interested in it. But it's like, is the Chattahoochee the hat? Is that like your? That's got to be your top seller, right? It's up there, right? That hat is. That hat is like problematic for us, honestly, because we've sold so many of those damn hats that we were on this a very substantial backorder situation because mm -hmm. we ran some. We just struck gold with the perfect photo of the hat. Mm -hmm. the perfect model with the perfect like all the stars align like it's just this cosmic chattahoochee freak out and those hats are just cha-chinging all the time it's really it's we think it's it's like pretty comical now but uh we couldn't get the print shop to produce them at the rate that we were selling them even when we would put up a date like hey the, sh the hats won't ship for two more weeks um and we were like we need x number more and we're trying and we can never kind of get the fulfillment in sync with the orders. But I think finally over the past couple of weeks, it's, we have like an equilibrium point and now people can order a hat today and get it shipped tomorrow. It took a hot minute. Yeah, that hat's been a hot seller and the shirt yeah. as well, yeah. What, what are some other hot sellers? I know I love, I'm, I'm thinking of the ones I haven't bought yet. Uh, On the Weed again, I'm gonna have to get a, yeah. at some point, great one. Um. This feels like you must have found it somewhere, but like those that those Alabama vinyl jackets. Is it vinyl? What are, what are like the red satin? The red satin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, those are gorgeous. Yeah, those are great, man. Those are, uh, I've been making those for a few years. We actually just had to throw away the entire inventory last week because something happened in the curing process. I know too much about screen printing now at this point, but something happened in like the curing process and um, when you wash them a single time, they start to kind of like the ink would fade out, fade out a bit, mm -hmm. which for some people that's very desirable, but you don't want that to happen. You want that to happen over 20 years of washing, not a single wash. So, right, right. Uh, yeah, if something was botched in the printing process, we threw them in the garbage. And have you had any, have you had any artists reach out to you? Like being like, hey, I love, I love my face on your shirt or any anything like that. I mean, uh, I, I'm a Grateful Dead guy, so the, yeah. the 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 straight dead stuff is is amazing. Dude, I'm about to roll out a very like straight up the middle Grateful Dead project. It's called God Bless the Dead, and it's basically the Steely with a dead country artist's face in the middle. It's like <laughs> that's great memorial T-shirt. Um, yeah. It's gonna say God Bless the Dead with the Steely with the picture of the artist in the middle with their kind of like memorial, like born death date on the bottom in their name. Uh, I think the first one we're gonna drop is uh, Hank Williams. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll probably do one a month and that's gonna be all straight pre-order only. 
Yeah, it's gonna be very cool. But uh, yeah, I've had some people reach out about their faces on t-shirts. Some of them were not so nice about it. Other ones were uh, more, you know, no one has, that's not true either. I shouldn't say that. There there, there have been a few country artists out there that were very much um, flattered that we had kind of breathed life into their brands and mm -hmm. others who were not so excited about it for a number of reasons. Mostly, some of them were like political reasons, which I thought was really funny because people, people always assume that because you're in the country music space that your political leanings and your social attitudes about certain things lean a specific way, which couldn't be more true if you actually know people in the country music space. It's not as simple as people outside of it perceive it to be. It's not as black and white, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I just brought this point up not too long ago of like, I love those those old timers like oh. Willie and Chris Christopherson. I mean, you couldn't get more liberal than those two guys, but they're also friends with, you know, I, and I really don't know the political affiliation of like a Waylon Jennings or, or somebody who knows, but I, I would guess it's probably not where they are, but you know, it's just like, that's how it used to be. I mean, then, I hate politics and I hate bringing it up and we've had to talk about it nonstop, you know, for four years. Four years. But being in the Midwest is like, or growing up in the Midwest, like everything is split down the middle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would just go have a beer with somebody and yeah. I don't know, maybe get talking on something and argue a little bit, but it never became personal. It was never, you know, after a while, I'd be like, ah, you're an idiot, you know, and just buy another beer, you know? And now <laughs> it's just, everyone's out for blood. It's yeah, the worst. It's it is. Um, yeah, like the Willie Nelsons. And the, I mean, it was really, you remember, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't even read comments. I would post some things I knew were chum buckets for the insane folks on the internet that just want to like tear it apart. Right. There, there, there were certain content I would just lob up there, <laughs> yeah. turn the phone off for two hours never read a comment and people and I'd, I'd go back and look there'd be like 1800 comments um, yeah and just people literally going to war with one another in the comments like it's crazy i yeah. never i couldn't imagine giving my blood pressure to like that like i couldn't imagine why i don't get it at all i don't get it it's wild i've got too much shit going on too i, <laughs> I just don't get yeah it. It, it seems like and it's I'm never sure what they feel like they accomplished on either side. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like, I mean, I'm not going to say I've never done it. I've, I've probably gotten into like three or four comment fights with somebody. Never walked away. Even if I thought like, oh, I was 100% right. Yeah, yeah. Still didn't still didn't walk away being like, I told him. I told him what's right. up. I just was like, what? what was I? That was a waste of 25 minutes. Exactly. Um, yeah, so what? Never getting back. Yeah, exactly um we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here in a little bit but i just yeah. what can you talk about in the coming year i just just again just hitting the road hitting the road as much as you can yeah that so also finally man after all these years like vinyl ranch is becoming an actual like real record label so i've got some very exciting projects i'm putting out in 2021 and beyond um working with a ton of great artists from texas and beyond um jonathan terrell uh yeah I think I just linked you up with JT recently. Yeah. 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 He's, he's terrific. Yeah. He's dope. Uh, Garrett T. Caps, um, an artist in Austin. Her name's Blue Jean Queen. She does this, they have a really cool sound. It's kind of like, um, 
uh, Fleetwood Mac Dreams meets uh, like 80s, um, what do you call that? Like freestyle, not freestyle. What's that? What was that genre called? I don't know. Really, really cool stuff. Um, who else? Walker Lukens. He put out that record, Redheaded Strangers. It's like an LCD mm -hmm. sound system cover record of Willie Nelson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think maybe you watched that show. I interviewed him and we hung out. Yeah, I did. Yeah, Walker and then a bunch of other stuff. Um, so yeah, that some merch projects. I'm working on the new Alan Jackson record right now, kind of helping Universal out. Um, a little consulting, trying to whatever I can do to get Alan Jackson's name in front of my audience, which, you know, I would have promoted Alan Jackson's new record anyhow, but it's been, <laughs> it's been cool to work to like get contacted by someone like Universal Music Group. Um, it shows that like the things, the roots I put in the ground, like there's some, there's like something has grown and it's fruiting now. So um, yeah, it's cool. so cool. It's a cool, it's a cool place to be. Um, yeah, that I've got a ton of like big music events, music festivals coming up. Um, I wish I could announce them. I've been counting the minutes until a couple of these come out, but they haven't yet. Um, but yeah, beyond, I mean, I'm sure it's something I'm forgetting. But um, yeah, lots of new merch projects, vinyl coming out, a bunch of digital releases. In a nutshell, it's kind of all I've got in the hopper right now. It, it, will I be able, I'm very, I'm hoping this might come true. Am I going to be able to see Alan Jackson wear a Chattahoochee hat? Man, I need to, that's... I mean, uh, you better I'm you better warn the you better warn the distributor before. Yeah, I mean, if you had if you had some slow problems there, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna visualize and manifest that. I'm gonna figure it out. That would I mean, be that. That would be the biggest win. I mean, you know. Oh, dude, I do. It's this is only gonna be locally released, but I have a. I'm working with a local um, beer brewer beer brewing company to produce mm -hmm. a um, grape snow cone seltzer called Chatty, I think it's gonna be called Chattahoochee Seltzer, like a Vinyl Ranch collab. So we're gonna be putting this out, I think here next month. So if I can get like a sixer or a case of it, I'll send you some. Yeah, please do. That's awesome. All back to um, And also I wanna give you props. One last thing. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're doing this. Are you writing the memes on your website or on your Instagram? Um, I have someone in the Vinyl Ranch crew helps out, but we've established a voice. So yes, you have. Yeah, so we've, I mean, there are like 20 something thousand posts at this point. So we've got a lot of data points there and we know what works and what doesn't. But yeah, I have a, Vinyl Ranch is like a little crew of folks. Yeah. Uh, at this point, and it's growing every couple of months. You know, we bring someone new into the fold. But yeah, one of the guys that I kind of started Vinyl Ranch with has kind of stepped up and has helped out with the meme copywriting. But, as somebody who does comedy, I generally do not find memes all that funny, but <laughs> but what you guys are doing is is funny. Oh, I'm a guy. So I I'm so, I got to keep you for at least two more minutes or yeah, something. All good, brother. I I I, com I completely blanked on vinyl ranch. Oh, vinyl ranch. Let's talk about that really quick. Yeah, please. Let's. I mean, talk about it as long as you want. Yeah. So vinyl ranch really is just an homage to like the obvious classic adult magazines. It's not in any way meant to be perceived as pornography or mm -hmm. uh, smut. It's it's more kind of like a tasteful, it's um, tasteful implied nudity. And there are a couple of different shoots. If, you, if you've been on the OnlyFans page, um, the OnlyFans page really was created to drive traffic to girls and guys who are using OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. um, 
and just kind of drive traffic to them as a way to, you know, send new subscribers in their direction. I don't know much about OnlyFans. I've only been using it for three weeks. So still tr there's a learning curve there. Um, but uh, it's been interesting. So there's been a lot of interest from people who want to submit photos and be a part of it. But yeah, it's obviously modeled after there are three or four different issues of the Playboy penthouse hustler kind of canon that were mm -hmm. the um, the country country girls, country guys, you know, hot guys sure, yeah. country. Um, so that's really what that's really all it is. But in my in in my brain, it's it's a means to also promote music. So we have music interviews, music features. Um, we're gonna do like a couple of different, like we're gonna do some jokes. There's next issue, there's probably gonna be a letter from the editor. Um, <laughs> yeah, just trying to like very slowly develop what this thing is and it could go away in a year, but I've committed to doing it for 12 months so that okay. I actually release one physical, public one publication. Oh, like a, not a quarterly, but whatever, a, like a yearly? A, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna do it for a year. We'll see how it goes, but yeah, I've got some pretty, some pretty uh, big fish that are interested in, you know, at least interested in the music interview component, which which I think is dope. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I reached out to you right away. Yeah. I was like, I'd love, to, I'd love to either conduct an interview for it mm -hmm. or try my hand at writing smut. I've been trying to think of like a, a good pen name, you know, right. if, if you're into that idea. I don't know. It's just, it's very cool, man. I just, you got a, you got a great aesthetic, and I just, yeah, uh, thank you. It's very inspiring. Yeah, man. It's a. Uh, I feel like it, I feel like it's kind of writing itself. I feel like there's going to be some legacy here. Hopefully it's a very good legacy and positive and it's inclusive. And I, I'm a person like I, I've been, I've been and I've, I've walked in all walks of life, right. To some, mm -hmm. some degree. So um, I always try and see and survey kind of what's happening and who I can bring into the fold to kind of make, what we're doing unique and inclusive to all groups and walks of life. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, I don't really know what, I mean, do you have any other questions about what's popping with Vinyl Ranch? And uh, I don't think so, unless there's something I'm missing. I mean, cause I almost completely blanked on Vinyl Ranch, so. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's something else coming out. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I've got the Vinyl Ranch, got the new one dropping on June 1st with uh, Darcy Carlson. She's a country artist from Seattle. Uh, mm -hmm. she's doing she's like the cover girl slash centerfold um the music who's doing the music interview next month i can't remember or i shouldn't say actually i do know who it is um that's kind of what's going on in the vinyl ranch world right now you just heard it all well cool well david thanks so much for chatting with me and stuff like that it's yeah, great to check your time man sorry i wasn't more snappy about it. i didn't Oh, this is so funny. A friend of mine took me out for drinks last night. I stepped away to take a phone call. I come back to the table and there's a shot on the table. And this is pretty late in the night. Mm -hmm. The shot was brown. I was assuming it was like Fernet Bronca or something. And uh, I didn't ask. I just took the shot. I was like, oh, that tastes a lot like coffee. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's a bump shot. It's like half espresso, half tequila. So I got no sleep last night. <laughs> so, yeah, I woke so, up 50 times. They should have warned you about that one. That, that seems like... You need you need consent on a shot like that. You should always ask. I knew I knew <laughs> I, need, I need to ask before I consume. But. And do you, th you think you'll be heading back to Austin? Is that where you're? 
Yeah, most likely moving back to Austin this, uh, the end of summer, early fall, like maybe August or September. Um, be uh, spending a lot of time in New York as well. Back, you know, the past few years, I was kind of popping back between New York and Texas. So planning to return back to my old life here in the next month or so. Uh, be able to spend more time in New York. It's like a big part of the Vinyl Ranch story as well. Um, they've kind of got to cater to the Saturday Night Fever component a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Do the NYC Brooklyn thing. Um, the brand is like pretty popular there. So we have, you know, I've been doing parties at this venue called Skinny Dennis for about five years, six years now. So, so uh, yeah, every month we do a party. Each party we do, it gets a little more insane. So just trying to keep that trajectory in mind. Nice. Well, I'm in Austin a lot. Cause my, yeah. that's, where I, that's where I met my wife and she lived there for eight years. And uh, yeah, if you're down there when I'm down there, let's go get a, a drink. I'll have coffee, but you know, we'll, we'll do uh, we'll do it up. Yeah, sounds good, brother. I appreciate your time, Mike. Uh, same, David. Thanks so much. Yeah, let's wrap. Talk soon. Cool. Thanks,